This episode of Landmine Radio is sponsored by Dittman Research. Do you know what the most valuable thing in the world is? High-quality information. Because high-quality information informs much better decision-making. Dittman Research has been providing high-quality information to Alaska's leading businesses, organizations, and campaigns for 50 years. Do you really know what Alaskans think about your company or your issue? How about your clients, your shareholders, or your employees? So stop fumbling around in the dark. Hire Dittman Research and find out what's really going on. DittmanResearch.com Okay, back here with my uh, good buddy, Joe Geldof. How you doing, Joe? Well, I am fine, and nice to be on your uh, show again. This is your third or maybe fourth appearance. We've uh, we've become kind of buddies. Would you would you agree with that? Is that a... Well, you're a congenial guy, and uh, so far you haven't done anything that would uh, make me think you're anything less than a sterling person. And uh, You're, you're, you're kind of... We have something in common. People either... I always say people who know me never say, oh, yeah, Jeff Landfield, I have no opinion. It's either, you know... Love that guy or fuck that guy. That's kind of the same I've noticed with you. People either like you a lot or don't like you at all. Well, I don't know about me, but I mean, you cut a fairly wide swath here in Alaska, and that's that's good. Right, but I mean, all the political people on the cat, like you're known. People know you. You sue, you file lawsuits, and you're kind of a little cousin trouble I'm, sometimes. I'm just a agent of the court, S- trying to, to serve justice and and S- the community. Servant of the people. Uh, no, of of. Certain interest, although I, I do like the public interest, but you know, but we don't have to quibble about that. I want to talk about a lot of the things we uh, always talk about, but um, now the legislature just passed. Well, the, sorry, the the yeah, the legislature passed a budget, but the the um, House didn't agree with the Senate's. The Senate passed a budget. The House didn't agree with the Senate's changes, which included wrap, wrapping up the capital budget and then adding a PFD. You're big with the PFD, the defenders, and you've been pretty outspoken about that. But we were had lunch earlier, and we we're this is kind of what spawned this podcast. You're a PFD guy, you know. You want to constitutionalize it. You're the Clemtillian group. Um, but I kind of made the comment, well, drawing down the earnings reserve is, you know, I, I, I kind of joked you support that, but you don't support that, right? Drawing down, oh, of course not. I, I um, and I am, I am a big proponent of the permanent fund dividend. Uh, for all the obvious reasons, not not just because Jay Hammond and Clemtillian and Hugh Malone and Oral Freeman. And people who had gone through the brutal years of no money and then were awash in money decided mm-hmm. to save a little bit of it. And out of that save some of our non-renewable resources, mostly derived from oil, was the idea, hey, let's take a little slice of the earnings from those savings and rebate them to the citizens as a dividend. Not as welfare, but as a dividend. A little check that reflects the interest earned on your savings account. We're not redistributing, you know, taxes here. It's earned interest and giving the citizens a little bit of it. It's just no different than if you buy a share of stock or you get a little interest on your your, your passbook savings. Um, so, but yeah, the, the, I stand the, with I, – I am a big proponent of the permanent fund dividend. But the 50-50 plan, if adopted, um, unless there was drastic re- revenue re- re- or spending reductions – There'd have to be some revenue, which in, in that case would be kind of a taxes if it was personal income taxes or a. Well, you're tax. jumping ahead. So, so having blown through the majority of the money from oil uh, and all the other revenue sources and everything, and now they've tapped into the earnings reserve account, which is managed by the Permanent Fund Corporation, 
but is not part of the corpus mm -hmm. of the permanent fund. Now the legislature, they want 100% of the money in the earnings account. And at some point, people like Tillionaire go, not so fast. People which, is, like, which is about $17 billion right now. Um, the Senate did vote to, to increase the deposit from the earnings reserve to the corpus. It was $2 billion, then it was $4 billion. So they, they want to put $4 billion away. They want to get it out of their hands because the smarter people in the legislature, it's like the old Jim Carrey movie. Remember The Mask? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Jim Carrey goes, somebody stop me. Yeah. You know, <laughs> the adults in the legislature know that the earnings reserve account, which is managed by the Permanent Fund Corporation, but is outside of the corpus, they know, just like the statutory budget reserve account, just like the constitutional budget reserve account, it's going to disappear like do you, do you, water you, in a desert. Do you think when they created this uh, structure for the permanent fund and they had the corpus and the earnings reserve, it's a majority vote to spend that money? Everything else, CBR, SBR, that's a three-quarter vote. Do you think there was an oversight or maybe they just didn't see a point when they, they would be doing this? Because it's a majority, it's a simple majority vote to spend that money, which seems odd because everything else is a three-quarter to spend the savings. Well... If what you're talking about is, you know, the, if you read the Constitution, it says that all the earnings, this is in the Constitution, derived from the permanent fund will be placed in the general fund. Now, there's a provision there that says, unless provided by law. So the legislature said, don't just dump it into the general fund, put it into an account that they established by statute that says the earnings reserve account. So well, that's why the didn't money. they make a higher threshold to, to access that money? Well, they could have, but that probably would take a constitutional amendment. I've, I've never really thought about that. And so what they did, and I think they just conflated, if the money is in the general fund and we're going to create a separate account, it only takes a majority of each chamber and approval of the governor to spend money in the general fund. So they said, we'll just create this fund called the, the earnings reserve account, and it just takes a majority, same as if it was in the general fund. But but, but the CBR is a three-quarter. Three quarter. Yeah, but remember, the Constitutional Budget Reserve was set up as a constitutional amendment. Mm -hmm. And the people who set that up, and you should have them on one of your podcasts, uh, they, did, they never dreamed that the legislature would be so creative that, that the minority could leverage access to the three-quarters, uh, past the three-quarter threshold to tap into the old constitutional budget reserve account. Um, and that's what's you, happened for a long, I mean, that's been going on for a long time. Well, that's how we've been balancing our budget for the last five years. And, and it, it, it's actually mortifying in a more than five years. It's only eight years. They started spending that money in 2013. I think that's right. Yeah, you're right. That's when deficits, uh, big deficits having started. a senior moment here. I think there was like 16 billion between the SBR statutory budget reserve, which was a little smaller than the CBR. There was like 16 billion and, you know, nine years ago, and that's basically all, almost all gone. Yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? Well, and, and I invite you to have Rick Halford and the other people who were instrumental in setting up the CBR, the Constitutional Budget Reserve, they, they actually were stunned at how quickly and nimbly the political cast figured out how to circumvent the three-quarter vote by doing basically old-fashioned well, horse trading and log rolling. And then there's also that kind of wrapped into that related as that reverse sweep, which we saw two years ago didn't get passed, where all those... Accounts and funds and things got wrapped up into the, into the into the CBR, and it took them a long time to get that straight, straightened out. So there was a power cost thing, there was a scholarships, there was a and there's like hundreds of these things, you know, and some of them are bigger. 
Well, right. And, and one of the things, one of the reasons there's such dis, uh, well, I guess disenchantment by many people, uh, your listeners and other people in Alaska, there's all these kind of odd, peculiar accounting mechanisms, the sweep, the reverse sweep, you know, the Statue of Liberty sweep, the, you know, and after a while, the whole thing sounds like, what is this? We're running our thing like the accounting system at Enron. And it's not clean. It's, it's not well, simple. It's also, it's, yeah, it's, it's complicated. I was talking to you earlier about a book I'm reading on the politics industry. I mean, a lot of this stuff is designed, it's, it's almost by design very complicated, so the average person doesn't really have any way to understand it. I mean, I spend t- all my time in this building for the last three years, and I don't understand a lot of this stuff still. It's very, very com- you have You have to really be a very specific kind of insider person to have only a few people, I think, really understand how the government works, how the budget works, like a handful of people. In That's state. right. It probably takes a minimum of six years for a thoughtful, hardworking person to be able to cut through the fog, to kind of understand the opacity of the allocation process, the appropriation process. And there's so many things that happen, like whether it's on the, the subcommittee level or the end of, you know, amend, I mean, the amendments, get, and people watch, it's public. But there's so many things, and I watch very closely now because I'm doing this new political report thing, which is a separate business, and we're tracking this stuff very closely. But there's like things that you just know, you, if you know what's going on, you know this amendment and this allocation to this group is about this thing. But you yes. have to know all these things, right? And you know what's going on. But, you know, to the average person, 99% of people, they just see some amendment and some money and some line and del- delete this, insert that for this sum, blah, blah. I mean, it's very... It's... But, th- but that's true, and... and... Your listeners and the citizens of Alaska should not get cynical and just throw up their hands and say they're all a bunch of crooks. Nobody knows what they're no, I'm, doing. I'm not saying crooks. I'm just, it's not crooks. It's more just uh, they understand, some people understand the system and they're, do, they're sure. operating within the confines of how things. But let me give you an analogy. Okay. When was the last time you drove across the country? Uh, oh, it's been a long time. I did, you know, 03, I did a big thing with the glider contest. So I did that back in 03. And, uh, and then I've done obviously much smaller little. Yeah. Did, did you learn anything driving across the country? Where to stay, where not to stay, what route to take, what not route sure, to take? Sure, of course. Yeah. Okay. So if you're asking on the budget matter, uh, somebody like Bert Stedman, who's been around a long time, what works and what doesn't work, it's not just because he is the chairman. He's been around. Mm-hmm. He's been paying attention. It's just like driving across the country. Are you going to ask your neighbor who's never doesn't even know how to drive how to get across the country? Or are you going to ask somebody who does long distance truck driving all over the country? You get somebody who's a guide. And one of the big problems in the Alaska legislature right now is the citizens are mad as hell. They're not going to take it, and they elect some fire breather who comes down here and they're going to kick everybody's ass. And they actually don't know what goes on down here. And and it would be true if it was in you know the capital was in Willow or. North Pole or Fairbanks or Bethel. The, the lack of experience and expertise in just getting through it mm-hmm. is as low as it's been in well, years. That's what, I, that's what I noticed two years ago when there was a whole bunch of new folks elected. And then this year, it's the same thing. I used to, when I was back in the day, I'd think, you know, I was kind of one of these angry, just get, get rid of all of them. And what, what I've come to realize is that is the worst possible idea. I mean, you, you really probably want to have no more than a 10% turnover each year. Because when you have a twenty, when you have like a quarter of the house, you know, new people, what you're talking about happens, and then these new people think what's happening now, this dysfunction, is normal when it's actually abnormal. Um, and it's it's I, I talked to the, I'm not going to say who, but there was a rep I was talking to uh, before they organized this 
a newly elected rep before they organized the session. And I was asking, hey, what's going on? You know, was deadlock? Somebody going to, you know, I said, are you going to go over? I said, you know, I kind of joked. I said, hey, if you make, a, you make a deal, you probably get whatever. You know, get a, something real good for yourself. You know, some committee position, fight, whatever. I, you know, and this person looks at me and says, I didn't come here to make deals. And I said, that's the whole point of that place is to make deals. That's how you, that's how things work. You make deals with people. Yeah, and, and you say that, and people are thinking perhaps, well, making a deal is some sort of pejorative term. It's no, somehow, it's not. It's, 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 but it's not. It's like, hey, I'm going to vote do this, and I want to be here. And okay, well, I'll support you for that, and you support me for this, and that's, how, that's, that's, that's exactly how it's supposed to work. Well, how do you reach a conclusion, whether you're dealing with your kids about what you're going to have for dinner tonight, or you're dealing with you know, your friends of where are we going to go on vacation, yeah. or anything? First, you have to listen and get everybody's ideas. And then you have to say, well, I'm thinking we really should go to Chicago. I really don't want to go to, you know, Tucson. So why don't you want to go to Tucson? It's great. Well, because we're talking about going there in August. It's hot. None of us play golf. Why don't we go to Chicago? Because we all like jazz. Oh, okay, I see it. That's a deal. That doesn't mean the person who said, let's go to Tucson... Uh, you know, is wrong. Mm-hmm. Maybe you go to Tucson at another time. The trouble is down here and in politics, not just in Juneau, but all over the place anymore. Somebody says, this is my way. And after, you know, not even listening, you say, my way or the highway. And if you don't do this, I'm going to hold my breath and lay down on the carpet and kick and pound my hands. And then the, the public says, could we just hit the normal button? And like, you don't have to call it a deal, but could we just listen and come to an understanding and get on with the public's business? No. Everything turns into high well, drama, it, big emotion, and, and... And it goes it goes, it goes, goes back to what we were talking about earlier with, like, the budget, but just in general, I mean, most of the public never comes to Juneau. If they do come to Juneau, they might be in here for a couple of days or something. They don't see what happens here day to day. I mean, there's so many... If the public really knew, if they really had a grasp of these people, and there's some, there's some good ones, and there's a lot of kind of bad operators. If they really knew the day to day dealings of these people and how they act and how they treat each other and their, their antics. I mean, probably, probably a lot of them wouldn't get reelected, but they don't pay attention to that stuff. So the election comes around and it's like, Oh, this guy's bad. Fuck this person. Or like, Oh, this happened. This is bad. Like, and it just becomes this kind of weird. It's just our whole countries, you know, it's like that. And maybe, maybe well, you're this, you're it reminds me of the, remember the old, uh, uh, it was one of the beer commercials and there was this big sides fighting. Tastes great. Less filling. Tastes great. Less filling. And after a while, everybody's going, this is like low rent beer anyway, I don't, and it doesn't taste that good. And I don't care about filling. You know what I really want? I want a shot of whiskey and uh, you know something else. I don't. All these debates around here have this low rent beer quality to them that the public sees. But you know there is. You're absolutely right. There's some quiet conversations that go on down here among the adults. But the, but the real differentiation and what I would urge people: Am I electing an adult? I don't care about Democrats or Republicans anymore. I don't care about male or female. I don't care Bush, urban, mm-hmm. you know, Juno, anything else. Am I sending an adult to do the business that the public deserves? And that's the only test anymore. Well, I mean, the, the comparison that many people have made, and I mean, I think it's a perfect comparison. I kind of joke. People say it's like high school. I kind of joke. Well, I think a lot of high schoolers are more mature than a lot of those people. You know, it's, it's like you have cliques and you have the cool kids and you have the kind of the athlete, you know, the jocks, and you have these, you have different cliques of people and the way they treat each other and act, it's, it's like high school. Sometimes, but 
for for a person who's been around and observed the process for as long as I have, what's really fascinating to me is the learning curve. So mm-hmm. I watch people, just for example, Mike Shower, who's kind of a black and white guy, by you know a military guy, uh, former Air Force fighter pilot. He, he kind of conceives of the world in black and white terms, yeah. but Mike Shower is, as he's he's growing into the job and he's understanding. We're not running a fighter squadron here. You know, this isn't good guys versus bad guys. I got to listen as much as I talk. And he's becoming a better senator, not just for his constituents in his district, but for the state of Alaska. Now, he's got a learning curve. Could he be faster? Maybe. Uh, Somebody else can judge that. People like Shelley Hughes. You can work with Shelley Hughes if, if you're another legislature. How would you like to try to work with Senator Reinbold? I would not. Why not? I'm not even going to go into it. But <laughs> well, well, I'm not talking about her. We all know because she's just she's my way or the highway. Yeah, you can't work with her. There's yeah. just and, and and she goes on incredible. You know, she gets very aggressive and attacks people publicly and yeah, everything's you know. a jihad. You know, yeah. you know. But like you just nailed it all. You you said you know good guy bad guy. And I think part of the problem is a lot of them, the new, especially the newer ones who are who are elected. You know, by going after somebody for something they did. They see it as like a good guy. It's really, it should be, they're all the same team. John Harris told me when he was speaker, he said, there used to be the concept of like the loyal opposition where we're still on the same team, but you know, we have to hold you accountable and we have a role here. Yeah. yeah. At the end of the day, like we're, you know, same team. Now a lot to a lot of people, it, it appears to be, it's the other side's the enemy. And we have to, we have to do everything we can to stop the enemy from doing what they want to do. Cause in their mind, it's, it's. Well, like, that's like the Mitch McConnell Shtick. Yeah. You know, Barack Obama is elected president of the United States. You know, I'm pretty sure Barack Obama was elected president of the United States. We're not talking about the last election cycle on the national level. Mitch McConnell, first thing he lays down is, my job is to make sure he's not reelected. Okay, that's... Mitch McConnell was notoriously unsuccessful. Barack Obama had a second term. But when you lay out that right at the point of the inauguration, just like if you come down here and say, my job is to kick everybody's tail down here, um, how are you going to get anything done? And McConnell still, he was able to block uh, Merrick Garland, and then they, they jammed through the, the Amy Coney Barrett, you know, in the same, I mean, that was months before the election when they, I mean, granted, they controlled the Senate at that point, um, and with Garland, you know, it was it was different. It was um, Democratic, Demo- Democratic president, Republican Senate. Now this one, Republican president, Republican Senate. But to me, it's like it just seems to be wild. To the public, I think too, wildly hypocritical. Well, there's a lot of hypocrisy going on, and there always has been. I mean, you, you could probably, if but, we but, could but, teleport back into the Roman Senate or or the the, the, the Greek, yeah, but, but setup. I mean, the, there, there's always hypocrisy. But the, the high, the, like the highway bill and Congress a long time ago, the Medicare, the Social Security. You know, for a long time, these things were done on like a bipartisan level. And now it's to the point now where major things, whether it's either side, Republican, Democrat, they have Affordable Care Act, no Republican support. You know, the, 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 the ta- Trump tax thing. I mean, I don't think there's any Democratic support. So it's like now it's, we just do everything to the other side when we're in power. A lot of these things, these big, these big uh, transformative things in the past for a long time were done on a bipartisan level. And they end up lasting because... Well, but, you know, you're using the term bipartisan, and, I, and that's... Well, both a very par- common term. Both party sports for both parties. I like the term, and w- one that I've adopted is cross-partisan, because the, the bipartisan assumes that there's 
an A and a B side. And in fact, anybody who's in an elected position uh, of a legislature, whether it's our legislature here or the Congress, there are times when, well, I'll give you an example. You, you might have interests that transcend or are you share with the other side, and it's not bipartisan, it's cross-partisan. So, for example, Tom Daschle, who was an interesting man from South Dakota senator, and he was the majority leader for a while, Tom Daschle was a big supporter of growing grade. Well, everybody got that because South Dakota, at least on the east side, is a big grain-growing area. As a result of growing grain that American farmers export, whether it's to Mexico to make beer or foods that goes to poverty-stricken countries, he, he paid attention to transportation, and he knew he needed rail links and truck links, mostly rail, to move grain to Mexico. He knew that you needed ships to move our grain to countries, unless you wanted to hire out the grain uh, to, to the Chinese communists and everything. And, and Dasha was an American, so he supported maritime interest. He supported uh, railroad interest. Uh, to move the grain from his district. That's cross-partisan uh, working, and we need to get back to that if we're going to be a functioning uh, country. But let's talk about Alaska. Cause well, actually, we brought that up with the shipping real quick. While we're on the topic, the co Congress just passed this uh, um, PB the P Passengers Vessel Services Act, the kind of re temporary repeal for going to Canada, these foreign flagships having to stop in Canada, which is from 1886, that law. Yeah, um, I'm familiar with that. And you're a big, you know, uh, maritime guy. Uh, and there was a call yesterday with Senator Murkowski with some media people, and this came up. And then somebody said, uh, somebody asked if this maybe is a door, door, door opening to repeal the whole thing. Because it was designed to protect Americans, American interests, and then now it's actually hurting American interests with the tourism in Alaska, for example. And she kind of didn't say, she didn't say she favored getting rid of it, but... Um, do you think there's ever a way where that, and also the Jones Act, you know, with the cargo, which I understand affects each Alaskan family by a couple thousand dollars a year in shipping costs. Well, that's the myth. Um, well, the, I mean, there's the, been, McDonald Group did a big study on that years ago, and it, it showed the, I mean, it was, I remember reading it a couple of years ago and thinking, wow, that's. Yeah. I, who paid, it makes sense. I mean, because uh, uh, these ships have to, for the people, to, the Jones Act, if you have a foreign flag cargo ship. Right, which which, sure. If most you, of them are. Let's they, let's they, hire a Chinese communist vessel. Uh, you know, they come up here. It's flagged in China. It's got so 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 they can't go from L.A. to Hawaii, right? They have to go from L.A. to Vancouver to Hawaii because they can't go from American port to American port without stopping in a foreign port. Right, you can't. And they're generally called cabotage laws, and most countries have them. Cabot cabotage. Cabotage. Yeah. What does that mean? Um, like coastal trading and mm. trading between... Good word. Right. Cabotage. So it's an old-fashioned term. Germany has cabotage laws. You know, the Chinese communists have them and everything else. And is it to promote... Yeah, but how many ports is Germany? I mean, they don't really have... They have a Hamburg's a huge port. Right, but I mean, they're, they're kind of... We're like, we have a lot. We're no, if you want to move country. gravel from Hamburg up the river uh, with with no stop over in the Netherlands or going over mm -hmm. to England or something, you gotta, you got to be using a, a German tug and barge company. But, but does, doesn't this, like, uh, PBSA thing and then the... Um, so let me answer your question. That, doesn't it really just... Isn't it a protectionist way of ensuring that American companies have special 
any country, I guess, special protections in a global competitive market where there's... It's to promote the idea that there will be American merchant mariners, that there will be American shipyards in place, because I, I know we never get into wars anymore, but who, who do you think moves the Bradley fighting vehicles and the, the, the tanks, the Abrams tanks, into the Middle East? And we're not talking about the policy of whether we should be in Afghanistan or not, whether we should be in Iraq or not. But what do you think happens if the, if the North Koreans go crazy and invade and the United States Army and the South Korean Army and the United States Marine Corps are hanging on, as they did in the 50, 1950, by, by their fingernails down in Busan? You think the Chinese communists are going to ship over a bunch of supplies, resupply? Who do you think if, if, if Putin and the KGB decide that they're going to blow through Kalingsgrad and, and invade Poland— the whole reforger exercise. You think Kaliningrad? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The old Konigsberg. Yeah, the old German mm-hmm. thing that the Russians kept after the war. Who's going to bring in the supplies to keep the American? But I mean, shouldn't Polish that be up to us or any country to have those things in place? Yeah, and ships? they are in place. And and one of the things that is in place is because you can ship grain on American ships and use them to ship heavy goods for the military. There's a relatively small, it's a very small actually, U.S. merchant marine that's still around, which is the backbone of the Transportation Command to move heavy goods. So, so why don't we have more American ships then? Why are all these, I mean, all these cruise ships are foreign? You've got, there's I mean, one guess- in Hawaii trade right now. Norwegian Cruise Lines figured out that in order to be in the Hawaiian trade, and they wouldn't have to run to Encinitas or somewhere in mm-hmm. Mexico or down to Johnson Atoll, there's an American-built cruise ship. And... The trouble is people like Mickey Arison and the, and the people who own the cruise lines, they'd rather use third-world labor. They'd rather use third-world shipyards. Yeah, it's, cheap, yeah, it's more expensive to build, build a yeah, shipyard. But, and that's not but, but quite I, true on cruise ships because, for example, the Italians do a lot of the construction of cruise ships, and they're really good at it. Um, and nobody's ever con- you know confused Italy with being a super-efficient uh, place to do business. But... We're dragged way off into the, the Jones Act and PV. I was glad to see the Congress and, and the, the U.S. merchant interests, including the shipyards, said, you know what? People in Alaska are suffering, and, and the Virgin Islands, too. So let's give them the limited exemption mm-hmm. so that they can have a season here because the Canadians are closed. This was not a U.S. merchant marine. This was not— It was a, Cana- it was a result of a Canadian policy. Right. So we fixed the-, the Canadian policy. A year from now, we'll be back to the status quo. And there's discussions taking place right now about should we get a waiver from touching Canada in the Alaska trade? And those discussions will be really fruitful. People like Ralph Samuels and you know thoughtful people uh-huh. are considering whether or not we should have a waiver. Well, the Canadians are going to get pissed, probably. Well, well, fuck no, them, you because know, but... they're not really going to Vancouver. The, the whole thing with going to Vic to Victoria, they're, is probably basically... get, they're probably getting something out of it. I mean, every ship that goes there, every they don't they... stop there for more than. They get a couple some, hours. They get some fees, probably. Yeah, but it's like beer and cigarette money, Jeff. You know, I mean, it's hardly even worth talking about. You know, but but that'll settle out. But but this isn't the time. Well, we can do a separate show on marriage. No, no, another question I want to ask but, you. But I, I just want to finish. Every Alaska thinks like you mentioned two thousand dollars. Oh, if only we didn't have the Rotten Jones Act. If only we didn't have the terrible Passenger Vessel Services Act. You know, it's like putting two thousand dollars into my pocket. I I think that is frankly a large pile of content that's usually found in a field full of cows. 
<laughs> and you know, every there's always some goofball running around saying, you know, if I could only get rid of the Jones Act, I could be moving gravel to Nome down to Puget Sound, and I'd be rich, rich, rich. Well, the the people who really know about maritime are are, are people like the the Salt Chuck Group, you know, the Crowley folks, the the people, the Alaska Marine Lines, uh, you know, Matson Shipping, mm-hmm. and. Yes, they have a business plan that assumes the Jones Act is in place or something. But if you really want to talk about how hard it is to make money in maritime, talk to the pros in, in those businesses. And with or without the, the, the Jones Act, they'll be shipping. I just want Americans involved in it. I'm, I am not want to be beholden for my groceries on the Chinese communist. Not, not doing it. And that's why I support the Jones Act. And... The, the PVSA, the Passenger Vessel Service Act, that'll shake out. But there's smart guys like Ralph Samuels who are trying to figure out a thoughtful workaround that will work for the American Merchant Marine, the citizens of Alaska, the, the, the shipping lines like Norwegian Cruise Lines and, and some of the other ones that operate up here. But that, what, that'll, that'll work out. What, what do you think? This is kind of related, but you know, a lot of these companies, like Norwegian and Carnival and all the princes, they're, they're all registered and, you know, um, I don't know. Panama. Panama and African countries, right, where they have... Some of them. I don't think... Is anybody in Liberia anymore? The old Charles Taylor, you know. There's a bunch of lawyers in Washington, D.C., south of the river. There's one that's registered in... Is it Mozambique? No, it's one of these... Anyways, I mean, the reason they do this in in these countries is because they, they, you know, taxes are way lower, right? It's it's a much better deal. Now, you're making assumptions here. That's a... Come on. That's that's, There is... I mean, I'm assured that there's incredibly potent... uh, review by the Panamanian Coast Guard of vessel safety standards, the, the crewing level, they, the Panamanian sure government, yeah. you know, if, it's, if they're flagged in Liberia, I'm sure Liberia gotta, takes gotta, great get, care about the crew. We got to get like a Noriega or a Charles Taylor back to really, really kick in. Yeah, Charles Taylor, remember that guy, they had the, the, the kids walking around with Kalashnikov rifles and duck masks? Yeah, that, yeah. That, was a child, that was where the child, child soldier. Yeah, well, where do you they, think they, a lot they, of the money they, for the for they, the AK-47s came from? They gave them the cocaine to the kids when they sent them in the battle. Yeah, know? so they're getting money by registering ships in Liberia, which is a bunch of U.S. lawyers working for Charles Taylor and the and the, the Liberian government, and they were all over in Virginia. But but isn't it kind of frustrating when these companies are registered in these countries, and then this whole thing happens with the COVID, and then they they kind of want all this help? No, it's the way of the world. I mean, and look, there are well, some. I know, but it doesn't mean it's right. It's, it's there's some good foreign flag. If if you're flagged out in uh, Britain, although they have a lot of second registries, the Isle of Man and those kind of things, mm-hmm. you know, there's some legitimate foreign registries. The ones that the flags of convenience, you know. I mean, pay- I mean, for a business to do that, I understand that's you know business cheaper, all those things. But then it feels like to me the government should also respond and say, okay, well, if you talk, go talk to the Panama Panamanians or the. Well, that's what the Coast Guard did. Remember Mickey Ayer said and the boys down in Miami are screaming and yelling about the CDC and, you know, we're ruining business and everything. You know, in diplomatic terms, the commandant of the Coast Guard said, go talk to your, you know, flag of the nation in which you're doing business. <laughs> this is not our problem. Remember, they all wanted to come into Miami and yeah. you know, offload everybody who's got COVID. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, the commandant said, you know what? Not so fast. Why don't you take everybody back to Trinidad and Tobago or take them back to Liberia or take them back to Panama? <laughs> you know, now there's that. an American I like. I love that. I, me I, too. There's I an American, that. and I am still an American. I think that, you know, we should put our nation's interest 
at the top of the list, not at the bottom of the list, just because some corporate puke wants to save a few dollars so that they can spend it on a home in, you know, the Danish Lake, Virgin Lake, Islands. Lake Cuomo. Well, it's not. I'm a big fan of Lake Cuomo. Me too. I wish I had a place on Lake Cuomo. Yeah, well, I don't. So, so it, going back to the permanent fund, though, I wanted an original question. Um, you cannot pay right now a permanent fund larger than about a thousand, maybe twelve hundred dollars, because the original Senate Finance Committee proposal was to use money from the CBR, which is a little over a billion. So a thousand dollar dividends, about seven hundred million. Um, now the new one, the twenty three hundred dollar fifty fifty version, that's drawn out of the earnings reserve. You cannot pay a larger dividend than about a thousand dollars, maybe a little more, without going to the earnings reserve, which requires going over the five percent, five point two five percent of the percent of market value draw. Well, we're at 5% this year. Is it, it was 5.2. It's ratcheted down, right? Yeah, we, we ratcheted it down by a quarter percent, and now th- th- that's too low, even though 5% is too high, according to the normal economist, and not just Joe Geldhoff's economist. You know, the Callan Group comes in here. They've been advising the Permanent Fund Corporation for four, 20, right? 20 years. And they said, you can't keep drawing 5% oh. of the market value of the combined corpus and the earnings reserve account it will fail, and it has failed in our stress test. Okay, so what did our legislature do? Well, let's set it at 5.25. Uh, okay, and, and then we'll ratchet it down this year. So now it's 5%. So, so as a full- and, 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 and the legislature wants to say, well, that's too, that's too low. We want to spend more. And at some point, people that I run with, you know, Eric for mayors of municipalities, some, but not, certainly not all the legislatures are going, this is crazy. And that's where this, the letter that I cooked up said, if you don't follow the statute that says you can't spend more than 5%, you're going to get sued. And everybody goes, well, so what? We can, we can do whatever we want. And it's like playground talk. Nee, 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 nee. Well, the Willikowski anyway. lawsuit about the, about the permanent fund dividend. Um, that was about must event, spend. Eventually said you had the legislature appropriate. There's a statute on the, per, per, or the formula but the legislature has the ability to appropriate, ultimately. Well, you can look at it that way. The way I and at least some other people look at it is there's a statute that says we're going to follow uh, a formula. And the way that Dan, um, Daniel Winfrey, uh, Justice Winfrey in the Supreme Court said, that, that statute, we're looking so, at that so as a— going to be chief justice. Oh, good for him. He'll be a good chief. So Justice Winfrey in the unanimous court said, you, you can't pass a statute um, without proper constitutional authority because it is a dedication of fund, and dedicated funds are impermissible under Article 9, Section 7. That's what that case stands for. It's not you can do whatever you want just because it's an appropriation. Um, so here we have a statute, the, the so-called percentage of market value, the, the POMV, that caps spending from the permanent fund and the earnings reserve account at 5% this year. Well, a lot of people in the legislature said, well, I don't like that. I want to spend. I want to spend, spend, spend. And so there's a perfectly legitimate theory. Is it, is it going to win? I don't know. I'm, it's too soon to say. But the theory is you passed the statute. You limited that. We're not saying you have to spend it. You limited yourself. You either need to change the statute or follow the statute, but, but you so, cannot ignore your own statute. So, so as a you know, full dividend person or high, you know, bigger dividend person, 
how do you reconcile? You cannot pay a larger dividend without either drastic, which they haven't done. I mean, the budget's not, it's where it is. And there's nobody talking about any kind of really serious revenue proposals. Even if you pass those, those would take a while to collect. How do you pay these dividends right now without, the only way you can pay those is using the earnings, overdrawing the earnings account. Okay. The only way you can do that. You know, I am on the, uh, what the classic, you're on the horns of a dilemma, a guy like me, because I would really like to pay a full statutory permanent fund dividend. Which is over, it's like $2.3 billion. Right. And I, and I, the reason I say that is because that's what the statute says. But the statute also says you can't draw more than 5% from the combined earnings reserve account and permanent fund. So what to do? Um, what, another question related. What, what, what I'm what, not what willing to do is just let them keep making stuff up as they go along. So the first obligation really, even more than paying the permanent fund dividend, which I believe in, and people like Clem Tillian and Jack Hickel and Juanita Casellas really believe in, is protecting the permanent fund. If you overdraw the, the, the earnings reserve account, which is managed by the permanent fund corporation, the Callan Group and Angela Rodell, everybody says you're starting a downward spiral that eventually it, you can juice the PFD now, but it comes at great cost to the future. So Yeah, once you open the door to do it the first time, that's it. Right, and then they'll CBR it, you know? Well, and then the, the earnings reserve account will go to zero. And that's why it's really impressive to watch somebody like Senator Stedman, who's proposing, I think, to transfer $4 billion. It was out two, of, and now it's $4 billion, yeah. Yeah, uh, Uncle Bert's got it up to $4 billion. And I think that, that they will pass that because it goes back to the Jim Carrey thing. Somebody stop us. We want to lock it up in the permanent fund corpus. The big question is, what's Governor Dunleavy going to do when he looks at $4 billion coming out of the earnings reserve account? I mean, it's seventeen billion right now. So I mean, it's not. They tried to do. They tried to do two years. Was it last year? Two years ago? They, I think they tried to do like eight at one point. I think Remember they were that? up to like eleven six. It was really like high. Eleven point six it got billion ratcheted, dollars. Yeah, it got ratcheted down to. And I like think Mike Dunleavy s- took six billion dollars. Yeah. He vetoed six billion dollars, and and it's important for your listeners to realize that wasn't money that they were going to spend. That was money they were going to save. Transfer, yeah. They were going to transfer it into the corpus of the account where you can't touch it. So so what, what, here's a question. I want, you're a lawyer. You do all this stuff. When the Supreme Court said the PFD is an appropriation, essentially, from the legislature, right? And then they have this, now this five point, this POMV statute about the draw. But, but when the court said, okay, it's up to the, ultimately the legislature has to appropriate why why doesn't that statute just go away? Because it doesn't matter anymore. We haven't followed it for five or six years. The court said it's really up to the legislature. So why, when the court makes that ruling, why, why doesn't the statute just get crossed out and then say, well, up to the legislature? For the same reason, I'm just guessing, but do you have an old set of golf clubs in the back of your closet that you haven't used in 20 years? I don't, but I have other stuff in my closet. Uh, okay, how come you don't clean out that stuff? I, mean, I, I try, I do try every spring, do a little clean out. Well, try harder. I mean, if the legislature, I'll tell you why, I think, on, on the permanent fund dividend statute, even though the court has said it, it's not enforceable, the legislature is still, some of them, really nervous about just cleaning it up by repealing it. It's just like they haven't taken the old set of golf clubs or the old wooden tennis racket. Uh, you know, they haven't taken it to Salvation Army or the dump. 
Um, but well, I guess but, it's, a, it's a leverage point for the negotiation. But no, I think they're when, when, scared when, when, because if they if they get rid of the statute, there's going to be a bunch of hotheads running around saying, "You're stealing money from us." Well, I just think in any, in any case, when the Supreme when the court rules something, I mean, there's rulings um, that have happened, you know, that have invalidated dumb laws or, or unconstitutional. All right, all right let's but, make but, up but, a law. But, but, they, but they stay like the one, for example, the, the permanent fund when they had that little mishap with that new person uh, denied a same-sex par- partner. Um, a, a, a PFD or something, and then there was a lawsuit about it. But the, the, they actually admitted, oh, the new person's new, they made a mistake. That that lost after it was, after the court ruled um, on, on the same-sex unions, the statute's still there. Why not just get rid of it? Well, you can do that, and there's... there's like, why at least there used to be a reviser of statutes who would recommend, back when we were dealing with facts, logic, reason, sort of normal... The reviser would say, gee, we've got these laws here, whether the, whether they made sense or not, but, but we don't do cleanup anymore. I mean, we can't even get the basic budget done while well, we barely got the it The Senate done. gaveled out one fucking minute before midnight on Wednesday. Yeah. Well, one minute. Of the, of the constitutional 120 the constitutional, days. Yeah. yeah they, so they missed by 29.97 days. The statute Correct. that says yeah, you're doing yeah. okay. So why don't we get rid of that statute? We should. Yeah. We so should. let's. They, they haven't followed it for. I mean, they followed it last year only because of the COVID. It was 68 days. They don't follow that. Get rid of it. Yeah. Just just take it off. Okay. But so your listeners understand here. I mean, we're this may seem like we're got angels dancing on the head of the pin here. What if there's a statute that said no guy in Alaska or no gal in Alaska can have a beard? Well, that would okay. Well, that would get that would go to the court. Okay, and the court I'd sue, says right? somebody would sue, and then but they, then they, then they should get rid of, but they leave it there. Well, because people need to understand the old common law standards. Remember when we used to talk about the common law? Mm-hmm. Now we're just obsessed with statutes, and sometimes we kick the Constitution around. If the courts rule, the judiciary, especially the Supreme Court, usually have a jurisdiction that. The law that says men and women can't have beards in Alaska, then that is part of our law. It's just not in the statutes. It's but the part. Court, but the court said it's, it's this, unconstitutional. Well, the court said that's not in this. You know, any case. Well, right. So the next time that you go into court, Jeff, or your listeners go into court, and they get a determination that this law is unconstitutional on its face. Let's go back to the the oil and gas exploration tax credits that Eric Four brought the suit, and Justice Stowers in the unanimous Alaska Supreme Court said the entire scheme where we were going to borrow a billion dollars to pay off the stupid oil and gas tax credits, the exploration. Tax I was credit, for that. I was for that, by the way. <laughs> well, of course you were. You know, you're you're a shill for the oil and gas guys. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> All right. Justice Stowers in the unanimous court said the entire scheme is unconstitutional. I could have asked, I suppose, it never occurred to me, for the justice to enter an order that says not only is it unconstitutional, but remand that and ask, ask the, the Superior Court, which was Judge Pate over in Sitka, to enter an order directing the legislature to repeal that. I, uh, it never occurred to me to do that, but, but that's all we're talking about. These are cleanups. The fact of the matter is the Supreme Court ruled it's unconstitutional, just like if there was a law that says you can't have a beard. Once they determine it's unenforceable because you have a right to privacy. Well, maybe, a legis- maybe some legislator needs to look at all these things that are 
They have and, a process. And then they should say, here's a bill to get rid of all the dumb things. That they we know, have a that, cleanup that been ruled process. On I don't think, I haven't seen anything like that. Yeah, from, because, through. you know, we're, I can tell you, in the, in, the, in the 80s, 90s, and early aughts, there was somebody tasked in the Department of Law uh, to basically deal with that. And the legislature had somebody deal with that. Now, there's all this fighting and yowling and, you know, howling and eye-kicking and gouging and everything over, you know, stuff that's pretty small-bore stuff, including, do I have to wear a mask or not? How about a plastic face shield? You know, <laughs> okay. It sucks all the energy and oxygen out of the room. And doing the normal orderly cleanup of stuff that's clearly unconstitutional. It used to be when you'd read the statutes, you could go down and see the reviser said, you know, the U.S. Supreme Court said this portion of the campaign finance law is unenforceable. It, it was still on the books, but it was kind of an interesting historical footnote. Um, but I mean, you know, I'm old enough. I remember when I first cut open the, the state of Alaska statutes, up in the front they had all the old treaties, including the first seal treaty. That stuff's not in the current statutes anymore. It was interesting historical, mm -hmm. but I'm just betraying my age and stuff. But don't get wrapped up, as would be my advice, about the fact that they don't clean up the obvious mistakes, whether it's... Well, I just, in, this, in, this stat, in this formula statute, it just seems they haven't followed it for, I guess, six years now, and it becomes this big fight every year, and they can't repeal it, and they can't fix it, and they fight over it, and they don't follow it. It just seems Well, some so of dumb. them still like it. Look, we got a current governor who basically... Overpromised and is underdelivered about the permanent fund. Yeah, so, so how, how do we pay the? Going back to the question, how do we pay a dividend larger than about a thousand dollars using the CBR money? How do you pay the twenty three hundred without the only way to pay for that? Busting right the cap is to bust the cap of the or, or, you know going to the earnings reserve. Well, everybody who's listening to this podcast, you ask yourself: Is are you really a red blooded Alaskan, or do you just want a big cash payment so you can? Do whatever you want. Or here's your choice. Do you want a big wad of cash now at the expense of the future? Your, your kids, the grandkids, everybody who follows in our footsteps. Do you want it now? Are you one of those kind of people? But but but, you, but I've done podcasts with you before. We've talked about this. Your group, the Defender, you've, you guys have been pushing for the bigger dividend. That's, sure. That's, because been, that's been a big point. We need the, we need the statutory. We need the, we got to fix the, you know all the stuff. We, we want well, the big dividend. Yeah, but our overarching principle that we want we like the dividend we want a dividend in the constitution because you cannot trust the legislature to follow a statute does anybody disagree with that they haven't done it for five years they, yeah the 90-day one too they yeah. haven't followed so the when, when you're running so. you're out there on the hustings and you're running you know it's it's you promise anything you know mike dunleavy does it a lot of them do it say so i'm gonna go down there and kick everybody's ass and you're gonna get a full pfd and you know somebody raises their can of Olympia beer or Schlitz or whatever they're drinking. It says, yeah, get down there. I want my money. And then, you know, Mike Dunleavy doubles down on it and says, not only that, I'm going to get you, I'm going to get you the back money that Bill Walker stole. Yeah. And everybody says, the drinks are on me. I'll buy a round of Schlitz for everybody. They Rainier, get that, Rainier, Rainier. Ra Rainoir, yeah. So they Ranier, get down. Ranier. Ranier. <laughs> so they get down here and everything, and gee, it looks a little different when you get to Juno. It would look a little different if you were meeting in Ketchikan. It would look a different if you were meeting in North Pole. Because the, the cruel, hard realities of balancing a budget without taxes, without cuts, and paying a full permanent fund dividend are impossible. That, that's, and that's what people have been saying for six right. years. So I come down and I want a PFD. 
Guys like Clem Tillian want a PFD. Juanita Casales wants a PFD. Mike Dunleavy says he wants a PFD, but the check's in the mail. People like Bill Wilikowski have, he's busted his hump trying to get a, a PFD in the Constitution, and he likes the full PFD. People like Chris Tuck want a full PFD. There are Republicans who want a PFD. Natasha von Imhoff's not one of them. But after all, she's Natasha von Imhoff, and you are not. That's right. I don't have the, uh, I wasn't gifted $20 million in Wells Fargo stock dividends. No, 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 no. <laughs> Would be nice, no, though. No. I'd really enjoy that. I mean, I'm Natasha was born on third base, and she thought she hit a home run. She, and- gets, div- she gets dividends, big ones. In the form of Wells Fargo stock dividends. And let's not pick too much on her. You know, she's... <laughs> it's, in her, it's in her financial disclosure. She's... She's got a learning curve and she's getting better. She's now supporting some I, I, sort I agree, of a dividend. I agree with the first part. Learning she curve. is getting better. She, she's given up... You know, she used to just whine all the time about, you know, we didn't, nobody needs this dividend and everything. And she, didn't, she hated it. Now she still hates it, but she's allowed that the citizens should get a little bit of their money. So going back to, I mean, Wilkowski, and I've known him for a long time. Um, Chris Tuck, he's my rep, known him for a long time. But, I mean, these guys ostensibly all want to, if they were up to them, they would overdraw the earnings account. Well, they are Democrats. <laughs> You're a Republican, right? I am a Republican. Love that. I'm a not very beloved Republican. I'm sort I'm of coming, in the Jay Hammond tradition. I'm coming up on one year of nonpartisan, June 1st. Best decision I ever made. How, how I feel does it great. feel? I just, I just feel great. You know, I just don't. Not, don't not, you feel like you stand for nothing? Um, I mean, I feel like I can just. I, you know, I wasn't really active in the party ever. I mean, a little bit I was. I went to the convention. I guess I was more active than most I mean, people. Well, yeah, Jeff, it's just we like, gotta, this is interesting. I mean, let's talk about partisans. I mean, everybody knows what a partisan is. You know, you're fighting in Italy, and there's the partisans. The Nazis. Well, the, the Nazis were. I'm talking about fighting in Italy with, you know, the Northern. Well, the partisan, you know, partisans. You know, you didn't. Tito and in what we called Yugoslavia wasn't. He was part of the partisan movement and everything. You know, my grandpa. But so you're a nonpartisan. You're not. You're not. My grandpa got. What are you for? My grandpa got shot down uh, in the B-17. He was in England, 50 missions, and the 21st mission got shot down over Yugoslavia. uh, Had to bail out. And guess who saved my grandpa and the crew's life? He got the Purple Heart. He was very badly wounded. Made it back to England. Guess who, guess who saved my grandpa's and his crew's life? Some of Tito's partisans. The partisans. Yeah. Partisans saved them. And it's ironic that we were bombing the partisans in the 90s when we were bombing out you know, Yugoslavia. And well, at that point, remember, Tito held that whole thing together. You know, Croatia, Slovenia... Bos, you know, it was, it was Serbia, Yugoslav, Serbia. It was under Yugos, you know, under Tito. He, yeah, yeah. and then it's, you know, as soon as that kind Herzegovina, of Herzegovina, yeah. Herzegovina, um, Montenegro, um, you know, then he kind of went away, and then the whole thing kind of blew up, and now it's like mm. seven countries, I think. Fascinating guy, Tito. He was yeah. able to kind of. Speaking of Slovenia, we, you know, you have to say it's one of my favorite ice hockey players of all time, Ansi Kopitar. Mm-hmm. Kopitar, yeah, yeah, good, good player. He's a Slovenian. Yeah, so yeah. is a Melania Trump. Who? Melania Trump. Slovenia. Do I know her? I think you do. But going back to the nonpartisan thing, I, you know, undeclared means it's the same thing. Undeclared nonpartisan, right in Alaska? No, like, no, it's, it's really the same thing. No, a nonpartisan not, means you don't stand for anything. No, it means that I, I just, I'm not part of this crap. I will take the best idea, and I don't care who it comes from, or 
I'll work with anybody, and I'll, I, I think it's good to not be partisan because yeah. the partisan. I love that. You could say that, but I, I'm not sure I buy it. But let's not argue about that. Because when you're part of a party, I mean, you know, you ostensibly kind of agree with their platform. I mean, I guess a lot of people don't agree with the platforms of these parties, but they're in the parties. And I mean, I, I just have no desire to be affiliated with. I wish we had a third, maybe we had a third party. Now, maybe we should get the Independence Party, which is an actual recognized party in Alaska, the only other, the third one. Well, so Take are the that, Libertarians. But they, are, they don't have enough votes. They aren't a recognized party anymore. So Yeah, they they, they had their heyday. Remember, um, they did for a while. Dick, they Dick were, Randolph was a Libertarian right, in the legislature. He was the first ever elected Libertarian to a state house in the country. And who there was another guy, I'm forgetting his Fanning. name. Fanning. Yeah, Ken Fanning. Ken Fanning. He was a guide. He he's, was a big game He's guy. the guy that... Um, when they put a call in the house in the 80s when they were doing all the income tax stuff and PFD, they couldn't find him. And like a day, like a day and a half, like almost two days went by and they couldn't find him. They were like searching Juno for him. He was hiding in his um, ceiling, in the rafters in the ceiling in the Capitol. No, he was just up inspecting the uh, HVAC system. <laughs> that, that would have been a, a loose unit. Oh, I remember, you know, now that you mentioned it, Ken Fanning, because he drove down the uh, Alaska Highway and then took the Haynes Cutoff coming down here. I remember him describing the country... Where you're coming down to the east, you're on the Haynes Road before you get into Haynes. Mm-hmm. You go over that long pass. Yeah. And just before Three Guardsmen Mountain and, the, and that area there, he said, that is some really hungry hunting country. And I said, I hadn't heard that term before. And he said, no, it's really lean country. There's there's a few big animals in there, but it's, I like that about the Yukon. It's real spare, sparse country. And mm-hmm. There's game, big game in there, but it's, it's not like down here there's deer all over the place unless you've clear-cut everything, which is what we did back in the 70s and 80s. Well, going back to the Independence Party, which the reason they're a recognized party is because they have enough registered voters, and I still think that's because a lot of people who register to vote, they think, oh, that's independent. I'm independent. I'm going to click that. That's yeah, like no, they're the apes. The apes yeah. are... Uh, so, But, but they, they are a recognized party based on the voter registration, so I think it'd be great to get a bunch of people to go to one of their like conventions and like hijack, take over the party... And then turn it into an actual viable party. You know, you're a you're, third party. You're prone to these sort of renegade operations. Yes, absolutely. You? So yeah. you, you, because because they have ballot access, right? Uh, they're a recognized party. So you just put you, you need you need about twenty people but, to do but that. That wouldn't be legitimate on your party. That would be like a flag of convenience. That would be like well, you, flagging you, you, your you, ship you, you, you in change, you Liberia. Change, no, no, it's not because you change the you change the platform. You take over. You get people excited. You have a third viable party that already exists. You just hijack it and take take it off. Well, Trump I, Trump kind of hijacked the Republican Party, right? So we hijacked the AIP. Well, Donald Trump did a lot of things, including caused a lot of people to lose their marbles. That's true. But see, this is where I suppose I really am in some ways a conservative person. I think my obligation is to stay within the Republican Party and just stay the course. Now, and, and these things come in waves like What's her name? The uh, the commissioner of administration, Kelly Chewbacca. Chewy, yeah, Chewbacca. Chewbacca, yeah. Ms. Chewbacca has decided that she is, um, you know, tanned, ready, and ready to go. Cho- chosen by God, too. Well, that's always good to have If God, God tells you to do it, then that's it. I mean, that's it. Yeah, what was the old German uh, uh, Wiermark? Uh, God mit us. God, God be with us and everything. <laughs> you know, it's a nice thing to do. Whether God is with Ms. Chewbacca or something else, but she is um, pretty intent on doing a very hard right version of representation that I'm not sure squares with Alaska. You know, she's out there chipping her teeth about Lisa Murkowski. Two words, Joe Miller. 
Who? Joe Miller. You know who. These names you keep bringing up, they're they're so far in the past. I I think if Joe Miller would have, after he beat Lisa in the primary, I've said this almost since right after she won the write-in. I said if he would have, remember the drapes, measuring the drapes and all these things. If he would have just gone to Hawaii and not said a word and been like missing, like missing in action, I think he probably would have won. Well, Joe Miller. But but he he just sabotaged himself so badly. Remember Abraham Lincoln, a Republican, by the way? You remember Lincoln? Uh, You've read, heard of him. Red Team of Rivals, which is a great book. Yeah, he had his, what was his expression? You can fool some of the people some of Sometimes, the time. You but can, not and all the people all the you time. You can, all the people some of the time, but you can't fool all of the people all yeah. the time. So Joe Miller hanging around was, he's allowed. He's just, he's kind of a creepy guy. Also ar- arresting Tony Hopfinger, or cuffing Tony Hopfinger. That was a bad look. Well, the other thing is he, he never really had a job. You know, he was always on, you know, he went to school on the government payroll. You know, he was, he was in the army. I give him that. And, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, he's, his I check mean, came, you know, you, and then he was a U.S. magistrate sort of or something. But I he really, was always on the government payroll. I haven't seen him for, yeah, he was up at the Fairbanks working for the Fairbanks borough, I think. I haven't really seen him around. He used to have that news, JoeMiller.news or U.S. Or he was doing kind of an online. So Kelly Chewbacca, she's another Joe Miller. And, oh, yeah. And how is that going to work out in the new election setup? Well, that's really interesting. I mean, I, th- I think they, they say, the proponents say that it's supposed to, you know, produce more moderate people because it, does, it, it punishes the extremes. And, and that probably is true, but, it, you know, it depends who's on the ticket, you know, because you go to this top four deal where the top four people in the primary, now it's a one, it's a single primary, no, nonpartisan, um, or it's partisan, but it's, it's just open. And then the top four go to the general, which to is the, the rank. To the big show. So if you have four... You know, I was thinking about this with like Dunleavy, for example. Let's say he runs for governor, re-election. He's let's, gonna. Let's, that's he's spending all of his time. I mean, yeah. So, so let's say it's him. In this scenario, although, uh, he's what, Governor Dunleavy's out bear hunting right now. Bizarre. Yeah, I, I broke that one this week. He's important promoter, bear hunting right in the middle of the budget and all the high, highest kind of highest importance of of the year. You broke you you broke that. Yeah, we got a tip uh, from somebody at Port Moeller, and then I can. See, somebody these. called me from California, and they said. Is your governor, aren't you still in session? And I said, I'm not in session. They said, Geldof, you know what I mean. And I said, I mean, is the legislature? And they go, yeah. He said, is the governor really out bear hunting? That's a land. That's a landmine news break right there, buddy. Well, I, and I missed the big thing. You know, when they said. You've got to follow us on Twitter. Is the, is the governor really out bear hunting? And I said, is a bear, you know, in the woods? Yeah. Actually, what I should have said. But I was stunned. And they said, no, you know, scouts honor. No, and no, you broke that story. That's yeah. a good story. A no tweet. wonder the governor is such a big fan of you. But uh, yeah, well, you, politicians cannot choose who covers them. That, that's what I. Well, that's what you proved in your court case. Important. But anyway, so let's say it's Dunleavy, and for example, I don't. I'm just putting the name out there. Let's say Laura Reinbold were to hop in there. It's just like you know, let's get the re- re- that would be, You know, I would love that, and Republican a lot of base, a lot of political no, no, junkies would like that because no, there's a high drama. Oh, it'd be fun to watch. Yeah, so let's uh, yeah, say high drama. Him, yeah. her, right, and she'd probably get through. Okay, and and she and that probably helps him because you know makes him look very comparatively normal and moderate. Let's say you have a Bill Walker. Let's say he pop- Walker's let's, let's apparently going to give it a it girl. It sounds like maybe he might. He hasn't said for sure yet, but let's say he pops in. Um, there's Pat Pitney again. Walking, we, we, I love Pat Pitney. We, we saw her not at, just because we saw her at lunch, and then we saw, saw her walking down the street. Yeah, here. not you know she was an Olympian. I know. She's a gold medalist. Yeah. I did, a, I did a podcast with her in here. By the way, folks, we're at the Amoeba, the Marine 
Engineer Benevolent Association, great spot. Thank you, Meba, for letting us use well, your... Well, they're not so benevolent, but it is the Marine Engineers Beneficial. Oh, Beneficial. Oh. Associate. Yeah, they're not really benevolent. I, I, miss, I mix that up. Beneficial. I mean, they can be. Beneficial. So, anyways, we're in the Meba building. I want to thank Meba folks for that. Thanks, Joe. But um, let's say you got let's say you got Dunlavy, a Laura Reinbold type. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Bill be. Walker. Yeah. And then you'd probably have some Democrat in there. Maybe... I know. Maybe let's say Mike Navarre. Let's, for example... I don't think Mike and Bill would both run... Because or I know um, Ethan uh, Berkowitz. Well, let's say Ethan b- before all the craziness, right? So let's say let's say how have, about uh, Ivy Spawnholes? Ivy, that's fine. That's, that's that's a great example. Okay, so now well, how about Elvie um, Gray Jackson? Yeah, I got yeah. a nice email from her. The I other like Elvie. She when is I was a president, decent. When I was president of the community council, she came to every meeting. Never missed a meeting. She missed one meeting when she was at like the White House introducing Michelle Obama. Send send us an email. I'm not going to make it. Oh like, nice. Like send us minutes. Send us notes after. Yeah, she's thoughtful. She, great. Wait, was she in the army? No, I don't. Th- no, I don't think so. She was moved here from Jersey in the eighties. Oh. oh, how about Bill Bill Willikowski? Bill Willik- that that'd be another. That let's go with that one. Okay, okay. So okay, okay so we Bill got, Will. You we, got we, Bill we, Will. We got Bill Will. Bill, Bill Walker. Walker. Yeah. We got Mike Dunleavy. And I, wanna, I almost want to use the white. I want to whiteboard this here. Now, now here's how the. Th- now thing this works. is in the the primary. Which no, this is. Let's say these four. These are the four who get through. Okay. There's okay. Thirty people in the primary. Whatever. These are the four that get through. <laughs> Dunlavy, Walker, Wilikowski, Reinbold. Okay. Now the way this works is if nobody gets fifty plus one on the first go, because you rank them one, two, three, four. Yeah. Now you get this, <clears throat> the ballot, and you you got all four of them on there. Yeah, and you got to go one, two, three, four. I mean, you could just pick one, but there's been some talk about if the ballot only has one person, and then you know when the when the second round happens, when somebody gets kicked out, maybe the ballot goes away. But let's just say one, two, three, or four. Now, now the, you got to rank them. This the, is the ranked you rank. choice. What's say, your choice? Rank them. So, so, so let's say a person says, "Okay, you know what? Um, oh, and I, I, I like I, some Republican says, well, you know, Dunleavy.' No, you're you're on fire. PFD, I, so. I got to slow down for your listeners. People are going, "Why should I have to rank? I know who I want." It's like, okay, you go into a restaurant, or you send, you know, you, you know, my wife says, "Go out and get something to eat," and I say, "What do you want?" She says, "Well, what I want is macaroni and cheese." But if they don't have that, I'll take meatloaf. If they don't have that, I'll have the tofu salad. And if they don't have that, just get a dessert. And come that's, a, that's a pretty pretty diverse restaurant. Well, salad. this is a diverse crowd here. You're it's talking about good... Walker, Willikowski, um, Reinbold, and Dunleavy. Reinbold and Dunleavy. That's that's. I'm trying to get a and, diverse and this menu is based on the ballot measure two that passed. Okay, so but but people right. are running around saying this ranked choice voting is unconstitutional. Ken Jacobus is suing and everything. It's we do ranked choice voting every day, all the time. I, I don't think it's unconstitutional. I think the single primary thing might come up to litigation. The parties might say you know free association. Also now the the in, in this new system the governor picks his or her running mate, which which now that that's a whole other level of like who does Dunleavy? I think he loses Meyer. And he probably brings what? on Mia Costello for somebody like her. I think Laura brings on, I don't even want to even imagine that one. Bill probably brings on a Republican to, to, to come. Bill Will. Bill Walker. Probably, maybe both of them, actually. They bring on a Republican who, you know, a, 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 somebody with a PFD, you know, maybe they find somebody who's kind of a known, somebody to kind of um, put people at ease who might, right? So, so, okay, so we got the ticket, okay? I go in, I, somebody goes in there, very conservative. And they go, well, you know, Dunleavy, he fucked up. He didn't get my PFD. I'm, I'm fucking mad. I'm going number one, Laura Reinbold. They're going to go number two. They're going to go Dunleavy because he's a Republican. They're going to go number three. Um, you know what? Walker took my PFD. I'm, you know, he's fourth. Bill Wilkowski is number three. 
Now, how this works, what matters is if nobody gets 50 plus one on the first round, which is not almost no way going to happen. Almost guaranteed. The person with the least amount of votes. Goes bye-bye. Goes bye-bye, and their second their second votes get redistributed, right? The, the, those those votes get redistributed, right? They, they, the first person to get recycled is the person with the least amount of votes. And then they recycle I, their... I, I think that's right. They recycle the votes. So, I think that's right. They're so, still trying to sweat out the details, but I think Jeff's right here. So, so I think... I think in that in that situation, I think Reinbold gets recycled first, and then Hall. Well, well, I, and her and, sec- and I, it's not that I'm a, you know, I have listened to Senator Reinbold on a number of occasions, and I've been the recipient of texts and and phone messages, and one of the things I've learned about her, she clearly uh, resonates strongly. Her her. Her likes and dislikes are very obvious. And you know, you know, a lot of people who really like her, not, yeah. but there's even more people who don't like her. But I wouldn't say in a in a comparing Mike Dunleavy with Laura Reinbold that, that she would automatically wipe him you out. You know what she reminds me of? She's very polarized. Sarah Palin. The way she talks and the way she, her mannerisms, and her very, very eerily kind of reminds me of Palin. Yeah, yeah you're onto something there, but but I wouldn't, so who do you think gets recycled first? And this Reinbold, Dunleavy, Walker, Wilikowski. I don't think it's. I mean, it could be. It could be Walker. It's possible. People yeah, are just Walker's like doesn't have a base. Maybe doesn't have. You know, people are mad about the PFD. So, so the point is, whoever gets yeah, recycled I mean, first impa- impacts strongly what happens next because then those votes get redistributed. And it's like, where do the second Reinbold people go? Probably Dunleavy. Well, where what do the would... second Walker people go? Probably Wilikowski. That's probably right. So what's fascinating about this is, you know, normally incumbents have real strength. Um, Mike Dunleavy doesn't have as much strength as he did when he won, would be my belief. Now, he's been working really hard to win back the trust of Alaska citizens, but there's a certain point where Alaskans are just tired they give somebody four years to get the job done. They don't get the job done, and it's like next. Uh, it's like bread. Yeah, it's got a it's got a sell by, and then it's got a pull last, date. Our last two termer was uh was Knowles. I mean, Parnell kind of yeah, got but, lucky with you know he was inherited it and he got elected again. Yeah, but, he was an accidental governor who, and then the Democrats. The last had, one a, a terrible was, candidate. The last two termer was Knowles, and before that it was uh, mm. Hammond, right? Yeah, but I, Tony Knowles is living proof that it's better to be lucky than good. He got really yeah the Robin uh, Taylor thing. Remember that whole and the um the the what's what's the the, the oh mob, John Lindauer the, Lindauer the the mob connections with the mob money and well the, that's normal. Well, he was a Republican nominee, right? Yeah, he's a nut. Woo! Yeah, no Knowles got lucky because it was it was it was Lindauer and that's ninety eight as the Republican Taylor came in to be like yo this guy's crazy and then Knowles was Democrat and right he, he right so you so uh, yeah. Knowles was okay, but you know he was kind of an empty sport jacket. I'm trying to get a podcast with him. It's it's proven challenging, but he's still around. He's he's on, he's on his trail quite a bit. I hear Tony Knowles coastal. He's trail. okay, but he'd be a good podcast. People, he'd be a great podcast. People, people, I wasn't around back then, but people, he's people, way nicer people tell than me, I am. People tell me, you know, he was Democrat, but he, you know, was fair to the oil industry. He wasn't and, fair to the oil. He was a shill for the oil companies. Well, he was. He, a, everybody's a shill for you to the oil. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. Hey, I'm a lawyer. I know what shilling is about here. But anyway, so so who gets recycled? So the other question is, if okay, no, if, I agree. if after Let's, the first round, 
after the first where, round where of do the votes go? If after the first round of recycling, right? Let's say let's say it's let's say it's Walker, for example. Okay, he gets recycled first, or Reinbold. Now, if nobody still has fifty percent plus one, it goes the third. Th- then the third second person gets recycled. So, it, I was talking to like my friend uh, Matt Larkin, who's a pollster, and he was like, "This is very hard to even guess or poll because you're asking people to kind of rank." And it's a, it's it's really hard to guess. I mean, I think everybody has an opinion about where it could go, and we'll see what happens. I mean, Maine's done it for the last two years, or two 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 cycles. Well, but. here's what the economist, like Richard Posner, who worked out of um, University of Chicago and, and and actually is a judge now, but the, the Chicago economist who look at public policy decision making, they say you're actually from a a, a real practical level. Where public policy should be is the consensus next best choice. So everybody's kind of consensus second best. You you want to avoid the polarizing people like Laura Reinbold or the you know the real extremes or the the real polarizing uber liberal person and get somebody that's you know they're just a little bit to the left or just a little bit right. I, I, understand, I understand the left. We have like Garantar, very polarizing on the left side. Well, she's always been polite in my experience. She's but polite, I, I, but she—I mean, her positions are, you know, very, you know, on the left, far left. Yeah, spectrum. and they probably reflect her constituents and her sense of values and and what's right in the world. But for running our state, which is a big, diverse state, um, with all kinds of challenges, whether you're in Ketchikan or Bethel, requires somebody who's got a feel for the entire state and all of our constituent parts, whether they're private sector or government sector, whether they're, you know, native or not, whether they're rural or bush uh, or, or urban. And in that sense, Jay Hammond barely squeaked through a couple of times, but he really was one of our better governors. Um, Bill Sheffield, in his own odd way, wasn't just an Anchorage-centric business guy. He really cared about the whole state, including, you know, Sitka, Alaska. You think he would have survived the sec- second round if he wouldn't have had the impeachment deal and all the kind of stuff with that i mean um i will say yes probably because sheffield was a great example where he came in and he thought well i'm going to apply business techniques and it didn't take him long to realize that government is different than business and he had that cooper guy who's kind of an anomaly i mean nobody really knows you know who he is i mean his name comes up people i guess might know his oh, name no, but... steve cooper's still around he's down in austin no Texas. i know he is but i'm saying he was his governor his time as governor it was kind of just look people look back at it it's not really it's like, ah, oh, you know, he was, I mean, nobody really knows about him. He's not really. Well, he took himself out. Steve Cooper had a. Didn't he say uh, when he got, after he got elected, didn't he say all bets are off? He did say that because we went into, after he was elected, oil prices tanked. And Cooper mm-hmm. came in. Like Walker. Well, like Knowles had that too. Yeah. You know, everybody says, oh, these are an- anomalies. No, they're not. They happen every 10 years. You know, oil prices go in the tank. You know, it's happened to Dunleavy. It's happened, it happened. To Knowles, Sheffield, Cooper. Well, Dunleavy is not not nearly as. I mean, Walker it was he was elected. It was before that a hundred. It was seventy, and then it was down in fifteen to like twenty nine. Well, there was a couple days when under Dunleavy it was zero. Right, well, but that was the COVID kind of thing, and there was all this. Well, you can always say what, but, but my it, point it, is that, that was every, a short short term. Everybody's back, always though. going, oh, it'll come back and everything. This has happened to Bill Sheffield. That's right. It was negative, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, phony Tony. It happened. It, you know, Sarah Palin was luckier than all get out. And Sean Parnell was lucky 
you know, he was kind of on the glide path and is out spending billions of dollars on capital budgets and everything because it was there. But the fact of the matter is Dunleavy, uh, Knowles, Cooper, the, Sheffield, they've all had these big hits for oil. And you'd think that we would collectively, in our civic knowledge, not build a budget based on high oil. Well, that's what I was saying back, you know, I, when I got involved in 2012, I said, why are we... Why are we basing the budget on $100 oil when everybody else, the oil companies are doing their long-term forecasting on 70, 60 or 70? Well, why, you know. I, I mean, it would make, if we, imagine if we were basing the budgets. Jeff, back. you should consider running sometime. Yeah, right. Well, I, I, don't, I don't win, you know. I'm not. <laughs> well, don't, you know, there's a lot of ways to participate. Anyway, here we are rambling on. I'm, am well, I wasting your time? No, it's been, I love doing the, you're a good, good guy to talk to. I, I want to, we're, we're over an hour, so we'll do another one later. But I want to talk about the D.C. stuff. Like, we'll do that, that, that on the next one. Uh, D.C., you mean electrical power? Your time in Direct Washington, D.C., or your time working there and all the... We'll, <laughs> yes, the District of Columbia. We we'll, can talk about we'll that. we chat we were having earlier. Well, it's been good. Um, we I can wrap this up. We should talk about the Alaska Industrial Development oh, and Export Authority. Can we talk about how we like get rid of that? How that goes? How do we make that go away? Or how, does that, how do we do that? A bill, maybe? A... Well, there, there's some people talking about a citizen's initiative to basically wind down and end the Alaska Industrial Development. I'll be your, first, I'll be your first signature on that. Okay. Well, you could be a sponsor, maybe. But, but, I mean, the thing is, if there was ever a justification for having a state development authority, um, those days are long past. Uh, you know, if you listen to some of the old-timers, they'd always go, oh, the Seattle banks, they never provided some of the capital, you know. It's kind of like the Jones Act. You know, if we could just get rid of the Jones Act, we'd be rich, rich, rich. If we could just get rid of those perfidious Seattle bankers who are throttling our economy. So they set up ADA. Like, in some ways, that's how they set up Alaska Housing Finance and some of these other agencies. It's to provide capital. Well, if you have capital and it's managed by really good people with criteria that make sense and there's a return on investment, it might work out. Of course, right now, the people who are running the Alaska Industrial Development and Export Authority are a bunch of political hacks, and they're engaged in well, and also distributing bunch, uh, money that, to goofball projects. And a bunch and, of, the, and, a bunch of the employee staff have quit over the last year. I mean, I think well, five, why, more, why would that five be? more in the last two weeks, had 18 in the last eight months, I mean, and high-level people, too. I mean, these are like high-level... Why would that happen? Probably a variety of reasons. I mean, but, you know, just... Toxic work culture, it sounds like, you know, just frustrating to being told to do things they don't want to do that are skirting procurement, you know, on whatever it might yeah, be. And why, why is the mayor of Homer, Ken Kasner, the mayor of Homer is suing the Alaska Industrial Development Export Authority for their repeated egregious failures to comply with the Public Open Meetings Act. I mean, the whole thing is a horror story. It's out of control. How, 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 it's how, run how, by how, hacks. How, it's a political slush fund. How, 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 about the story, be, how about the story I did? I'm sure you love that if you... Last year, all the all the board members and Anna McKinnon and Bernie Carl and um, uh, Pru, Dana Pruz. Oh, there's uh, a and, gem. And, and, and then some some of the the employees all getting hundred thousand dollar grant grants or more for their some of their or some less some of their businesses. I mean, they're getting it's almost five hundred thousand dollars they got combined for their businesses and grants that they applied for a day or two before the program ended. Well, Jeff, that's normal. And they're the ones you know who created the goddamn program. When you're involved in people who are looking out for their own interest instead of the public interest, that's normal. How, how does that ha- like? I write the article; people know about it. How does like nothing happen? Because the public doesn't demand it. I mean, how about, how about a fucking hearing and a gavel and somebody starts asking questions? Because our state, our big, beautiful, 
beloved state has become a go-along, get-along place in terms of doing the public's business. Well, I don't do either one of those. So. I know, and I, that's why I always am willing to come on your show. How, 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 about, how about a Joe for a Senate? Joe for House I, campaign? How about At this point in my life, Geldof. I would rather be out with my field glasses and my wife looking for warblers. I would rather be... Well, Who's district? You? You're in Keele, and is it Hannon, or are you in a, are you in a um, story? No, uh, Representative Sarah Hannon is my representative and Senator Jesse Keel. And, you know, Senator Keel, and I, he's a Democrat, and I sometimes roll my eyes because he is a much more thoughtful and kind person than I am. But he's very he works man. really hard. Well, he was a staffer, too, so he, he had the experience. Well, I won't hold that against him. I used to think that was kind of, you know, I was like, oh, these fucking staffers become legislators. But I mean, <laughs> truly, like, they actually have a leg up. Greyer Hopkins was a staffer. You know, they, they actually know how things work. Jesse Keel works really hard. And even when I disagree with him on certain ideas, I know his principles are to serve his constituents well in an open and transparent manner and to do what's right for Alaska. You can't say that about every elected official in our legislature. No, you can't. But... You know, for some of them, going back to you, you were talking about the high school. Some of them, it's like the coolest job they've ever had, and it's validated. And, 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 and it, it makes them be, feel good. It's the coolest job they've ever had, and it will be the coolest job they will ever have. That's why they try so hard to stay. Yeah, so... If I ever, if I ever, Joe, if I ever become governor, I'm going to pledge this right now. I'm putting you on the ADA board. Uh, I'd like you to... Well, the first thing I would do is to introduce that, that, a resolution to start winding down the affairs. That's, that, that's and a, run it like a normal, uh, you know, according to real investment criteria. This is one of those destroy... Political. This is, of, this is one of those destroy from within operations. We, we put you in there as a, an agent of destruction. It turns out being the governor of this wonderful state we live in is really a hard job. And it really requires people of character with solid values, who are willing to serve the interest of our citizens, I, I, all of them. Those, those are all true, and I think the thing that, um, and as mayors as well, mayor as well, what people don't maybe always think about, doesn't even come up in the campaigns or when people vote, it's how good of a manager are you, right? Managing people. That's the biggest thing that I think is overlooked. I, I, you know, I disagree. I think the biggest thing, you, you have to have management skills, especially... You if, have to be able to put people in positions and then let them do their thing. And put, 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 put good people. Put good people as the key. But that reflects values and principles. And if you have a person of with solid values, and I'm not just talking about superficial values, they know the difference between right or wrong. They actually think about, what am I called upon to do here? Is this going to benefit everybody? You know, Jay Hammond used to have these tests, and you know, everybody laughed, and they were kind of corny, but you know, they all boiled down to, and they're sort of constitutional principles in some ways. Is, does this maximize the benefit to all Alaskans? Is this really consistent with our obligation not to just cut down every tree or dig up everything just to make a little short-term money? Um, finding those kind of people... And then hoping they have the skills to hire good people and then follow up and make sure that you don't have the bureaucrats running wild is a tough job. And it is. Yeah. We I need am. somebody that cares about Alaska and not just... Look, here's the thing. We've had a number of people who they like being the governor, but they really don't like the duties that go with governing. Mm -hmm. You know, Sarah Palin, it was kind of that way. She laughed. Oh, don't you know? It's really fun going to D.C., you know? Had a meeting. I had a meeting, and then we went over, and it it was good. 
Um, no, I, I think a lot know, of people she, love she the idea. She didn't spend be, more than four hours a day I, I think actually lot, governing. I think a lot of people love the idea of being governor or being mayor or being you know some executive position. They love the idea of that, but then they hate actually being that. Well, it, because you have to take six, eight hours a day minimum every day to to read things and to make hard decisions or say, you know, this is not ready for a decision here and kick it back to the commissioner of DNR and, and DEC or whatever we got that and say, this is not properly vetted. I want you to work with Fishing Game and DEC and DNR and tell me what the real options here. And, you know, I don't want all this bullshit talking about stuff and you know you got yahoos like who's the commissioner of dc you know running around pimping jason i like yeah. jason bruni well everybody likes jason bruni he's a pimp for for mining companies based outside of alaska <laughs> he's not even a shill he's a pimp he's been one of the more i think probably one of the more quieter kind of doing the job ones he's dc's mm -hmm. not he's not he wasn't like chewbacca or jonathan quick remember him or amanda price or some of well, these they were horror these, stories some of these, these beauties yeah, yeah. Amanda Price. You, you, you know one of my favorite. Who picked these people? <laughs> Tuckerman, Babcock, Who? and oh, Tuckerman, you know, Babcock, Mister Mister Revenge. I mean, I mean, I mean this, this is the thing with Dunleavy. Like he he got get elected, and he spent a lot. Kind of like Bill Walker, to similar extent. You know, Jim Whitaker had some, put these people in place. It didn't really. But Dunleavy really just went. You know, like he 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 took it to a fucking next level. Donna Arduin, you know, Babcock, the wait, Jonathan. Wait, Quick. wait a minute. Wait a minute. Donna Arduin is one of the few people in the Dunleavy administration who actually did the job she was she asked did the to job. do. Yeah, I, I give you Tuckerman that. Tuckerman Babcock but, was the one that but, but took... But she came here from... She, there was like the worst look possible. I mean, you bring in like like the personification of... of um, I don't want to say evil, but the personification of just, just the worst kind of thing. And... With the Dalmatian jacket or the zebra jacket, the whole, it's Corella Deville. I mean, it was. I don't know. I don't know if you could have picked a. I mean, she was so cold. I saw her in the hallway one time, and she was never a fan of me, and I don't blame her. And I, what did I say to her? I, I said, I said, um, something. Do you want to do a podcast? She like, looks away, and she said something like, what, oh, "How did it go exactly?" And I said, "Don't you?" I, I said, uh, "Why don't you like me?" And she goes, "Like stone cold." She's like, "Oh, I like you," or something like that. And I was like. Like, oh, my God, you know, Jesus. Okay, I I'm, I think I'm an independent observer here of reality. Donna Arduin worked with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and That's had true, some yeah. success. It's true. Yeah. She had some significant success with the, the governor of Florida. I, I think she flamed out down in Kansas with, what, Sam Brombeck. That, that was a horror story. Mm-hmm. Um, Illinois she, too with uh, what's his name? Uh, not Rod Bogoyevich, no, but no, one no, of the ones yeah, after, yeah, that. after he, that. He's in prison. Lago. He got Lago. out. Well, he got pardoned by what's yeah, his yeah. name? Oh, Trump. Who? Well, Donald. Donald commuted. Oh, I thought you meant Melania. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. My oh, point I, I is Donna Arduin I, I is a fascinating thing about him, and he came out and he's like, he's already trying to run again. Like that guy is amazing, Blago. That guy is a. That guy is oh, a, right. Incredible, sure. Well, he's incredible. been pardoned and he's been redeemed. He practically went to the, you know, Vatican City and got, you know, blessed. No, let's let's finish up on, on Donna Hardwin, though. She's a real gunslinger. Now, you can say like or dislike, but she's been around. And Mike Dunleavy brought her in. And then she did her thing. And Tuckerman Babcock high grades her ideas, doesn't apply them in an integrated fashion. And the next thing you know, Mike Dunleavy's getting recalled. 
Okay, that's not on Donna Arduin, and you can make fun of her wearing, you know, the cheetah skin shirt. Zebra or print. Whatever. I mean, that's style. Uh, it is style. It's I'm not just, like I'm, there's a lot of style up style. in the Capitol. And you just, walk I'm around just, Alaska, I'm you're lucky saying, if people got on you, clean clothes. It's like you bring in the person who becomes a face, like this outsider person who becomes a face of like, fuck it, we're going to fucking destroy everything. I mean, it was just a bad look. I mean, yeah, she's a smart person. I give, I give you all that. I'm not saying she's... And she did her job very well. I mean, what she was brought to do. I mean, it was... Okay, so who didn't do their job very well under Governor Dunleavy in well, the I'm, beginning? Initially, I mean, Babcock was probably... He was, I think, the architect of the loyalty stuff and the pledge and all that yeah. and which and which which this, he, he lost and, so many and he doesn't he he finally gets run off although they pretend like he he's you know gonna do bigger and better things and everything but you know there's something unsettling about the girl gets run off and the guys stick around and everything and they get to exit gracefully and everything meanwhile you know the governor's numbers are in the toilet and he's kind of stabilized now but the thing is the public is still suffering here because we need a combination of cuts and consolidations. I, I could come up, you and I could come up with 200, maybe $300 million in cuts that wouldn't impact snow removal, education, and everything else. Can Mike Donnelly do it? Apparently not. Well, his, budget, we need, his budget introduced was pretty, uh, pretty just uh, you know, status quo. Yeah, status quo. Status quo still got a bunch of fat that doesn't produce what, what good I'm value. Is that there wasn't any big cuts or anything presented because... He yeah, saw that's that because two years he, ago, and he said, "Oh my God, Jesus yeah, Christ!" They're so gonna... he's gutless in some ways. You know, he got burned once, but we still need some cuts and consolidation. And then he proposes we're going to make new departments. I mean, who well, the we, hell we, talked we, him we, into we, that? And this is something nobody wants to talk about. But we have thirty-five percent of people in Alaska on Medicaid. It's a, the highest uh, um, reimbursement. I mean, it's, it's it's the highest not reimbursement. It's, it's we right. have the most generous Medicaid in the country. And and there's some savings there, but well, well uh, there. So, at a minimum, you need about two hundred to maybe three hundred million dollars in cuts. And you know, nobody wants to say this, but I will. We need some revenue enhancement. We have the lowest or next to lowest fuel cost in in the United States, and we need to raise our motor fuels tax to pay for the harbors and the runways and the roads that we all use. Somebody's got to pay the freight. It's not going to be a continuous stream of federal money under the CARES Act and the American Recovery Act. Okay, and we need to fix the systemic budget problem. Well, and they, and they, that they, means they tried the motor fuel to... tax, and all these people call up, and all these, these, you know, oh my God, fucking don't tax us, and screaming about it, and you know, because nobody's explaining to them what has to happen in the state to to actually well, fix the problem. But in the meantime, you know. Everybody says we've cut to the bone, but the governor's got Clark Penny on the payroll, and you got all these other goofballs and morons. You know, I, I, I always say, like, the more I uncover this stuff, it's like we're broke, we're always broke, but there's always a couple hundred thousand for somebody, no matter who you are. There's always a couple, there's always two to five. Begich and, and um, Parnell got money from AGDC, a couple hundred thousand for uh, contracting well, I, I know. last year. Uh, there's always a couple hundred grand for somebody, always. Yeah, there's always. You know, we're broke, but fuck, we got 500 grand for you. We got there's a sinecure for, for somebody. So that's why I'm hoping we'll there, there, There's an RFP for $500,000 for uh, a gambling proposal. How well, no, and we're, now we're going to reprise agriculture. There, there, there's another one for... Did you see that? Yeah, yeah, I know. We're going we're gonna to start growing grain. We're, ma, ma, somehow ma, we're going to beat we're going to beat Montana. You ma, ever been to Montana? Yes, I have. Do you ever big, see how big, they grow? Big sky country. Yeah, do you ever see how much grain they grow there? You ever been through the Dakotas? You ever see the granaries there? Oh, yeah. You ever been to Eastern Washington? Yes. We're going to compete 
Hmm. And Warren Buffett's already got the. Remember the eighties? That was was that that was an ADA. That who was that? The the grain terminals and the barley terminals. Yeah, I remember that. I mean, the fucking how much money was that wasted? Jeff, you're gonna. We're going to give you the potty mouth award here. It's internet radio. You can say whatever you want, buddy. I know you can say it, but do you have to? I, I get I get answered. So here's the thing. The Burlington Northern Santa Fe, the old amalgamation of the Northern Pacific Northern, the the, the old Atchison, Topeka, Santa Fe, there's already a rail link that's really well maintained to move grain to markets, whether it's Pacific or... We're going to get back in the grain growing business. Do you know what the margins on grain are? <laughs> Probably not very much. Okay. So what are we talking about here? We're going to spend tens of millions of dollars of money that we don't have to compete with Montana and, and Washington and Oregon where they grow grain to beat the band. We're, we're going to outperform the, the grain growing belt. They have, we've already got the markets. Or, or what's next? We're going to have soybean factories? It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's like we do all these- What are we going to do? Start growing, you know, fox farms again? Throughout the last 30, 40 or 50 years, we do all the dumb things, but- the things that end up being dumb, the, you know, the barley to the grain and the rail cars and the, the, the fish plant thing in Anchorage that became the church for, they lost 30 million. That was an Ada thing. Um, Holy fish. You know, but um, the, the things like they should have done, like Wally Hickel, remember the water pipeline? They should have done the fucking water pipeline. No, I, I, that let would me give have you actually a... been a really good thing. Probably would have made a lot of money on the water for California where there's so massive here, droughts every Here's year. what I would do for value added. And this is maybe where you're probably bored. We should leave. I want the give, water pipeline. Give me the money that they're going to blow on grain, growing grain. And you can set up a minimum of three new breweries in Alaska and make beer. A lot of people in Alaska still drink beer. It's a value-added product. You can import grain cheap that's grown. I was going to say, that's a, you, need, you need the grain for that. What? But you import it. You know, the... Tote Ocean Trailer Express and, and the salt truck guys or Matson, they can deliver grain and you turn the grain into beer and then that's what they're doing at the brewery right here. The brewery in Juneau is a world-class brewery on a small scale. Okay. People, people go, scale. When, you, when you go abroad, people know about Alaska beers. Right. So instead of growing the grain, let's import a little grain, convert the grain into, we could grow a few hops around here, make Alaska beer. We could set up a new brewery to compete with Silver Gulch and a couple more, you make the money on the beer sales. You don't make it on growing the grain. <laughs> and, but no, we're going to go in grain. I mean, I know it's it's, uh, it's we're, we're, um, we're I'm, I'm, the battery's kind of on the little recorders going going low. But I, I do want to say my my favorite commissioner, and actually the, I have a few that I really like. You know, one is of the picks of Dunleavy. Yeah, I got to say I really like Corey Feige. My favorite commissioner, who's just who's just been very doing the job. Any, any ideas? Any guesses? Well, it's a short and, and shrinking list. Uh, Original pick, so that, there's not that many left. Um, oh, maybe Nancy Dawson? Dawson yes, Nancy Dawson. Nancy Dawson. That's Nancy's my, that's my a favorite, good gal. And you know, pick. She's smart enough that she's very, you, she's you very, never hear about Nancy Dahlstrom. You know, you she never, just does her job. The, the, the crazy thing is, like, of, of the Corey Feige and the Nancy Dahlstrom, like these really competent, super competent, smart people, you know, for the last couple of years, I mean, you didn't hear from them because they're doing their job. You hear from Chewbacca, who's making up wild claims about money she's saved which he hasn't saved about things walker already did that saved hundreds it was first it was 50 million then it was 80 million then it was 100 now it's like 500 million she said it's crazy right and then price that those were the ones that were kind of you would like to hear from that were out there that were you know and and then you know Ch- Ch- this this chewbacca who's this conservative right who gets eighty thousand dollars. how about the ags oh it's god like I mean, a turnstile there i mean you get eighty thousand dollars for moving costs that she, re- she she quits a week or two weeks after the the time to pay it back right 80 grand or something to move 
81000 to move her stuff from D.C. to Alaska. Her husband, Nikki, he gets a job at education for 150. they They're pulling down 300 a year combined, right, plus 80000 for the moving costs. And, oh, my God, yeah, she's Jeff, just conservative. I'm, I'm sensing a little jealousy almost here. It just, I'm not jealous at all. I mean, I, it's just crazy so how let me, let me people ask you, can spin this shit. I'm going to ask you one question. It's your show. You don't have to answer. That's whatever you want, buddy. Somebody said to me the other day, Kelly Chewbacca is nuttier than a fruitcake. <laughs> have you heard the Talking in Tongues video we have? I'll, I'll send you that. Well, I mean, what's your take? Is she nuttier than a fruitcake? I think she's very smart. I think she's extremely, you know, educated and smart. Uh, I think she, she just says things that aren't true. You know, I think she believes things that she believes she's single-handedly, you know, saved the state $400 million a year. Um, which is just insane to, to even claim that. Or $40 million over 10 years, I guess. So 40, but I mean, the thing kept growing. It was, it was 20, 50, 80, 100, you know, and then, and then she, she um, just, just, you gotta listen to stuff she says, you know, just listen to what she says and you can, you can make up your own mind about it. Well, as a Republican, I, I mean, have to confess, I'm not impressed with anything she's laid out. And I read all of her literature and, and it's, a, I mean, I mean, she goes after Lisa Murkowski uh, for being this part of the swamp, which, okay, she's been there a long time. Her dad pointed her. There's some criticisms there. Wait a minute. Right? But she, she was there for 17, 17 years working in the government for 17 years. And then she comes back here two years ago, registers to vote in 19 in Alaska. She was born here or she was raised here, I guess. Leaves for, you know, goes to Harvard. You know, they, like, oh my God, like, you know, these, they, these swamp people. She went to Harvard, right? Most prestigious university in the country. Works in oh, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. What about Stanford? Okay, one of the most. Did you go to what Stanford? About the, you know, where, where did you go? University. Oh, I went to a little liberal arts school that was founded as an abolitionist ab- abolitionist seminary. Of course you did. Um, but any case, you know, it's just what's, what's more frustrating isn't the stuff she espouses and says. It's how people like some of the people that they, they eat it up. You know, they love it. She's well, the hero. If you run hero. on rhetoric and and you want, you know, this red meat rhetoric, that's what you'll get. Look, I'm not here to carry Lisa Murkowski's brief, um, but she's been there a long time and she has steadfastly applied herself. And, you know, you can chip your teeth and say, you know, sometimes she could be a little firmer. Or she could. But, you know, and you can say, you know, Frank, the bank, her dad, Frank, the bank, Frank, the bank, pointed her and everything. But, you know, Lisa has done a pretty good job for a long period of time. Am I going to throw over all that experience and, and the fact that she's been there? It's just, I feel the same way about Don Young. Don Young's made some boneheaded moves. But, you know, he's been there, and he's done it. And, and he's actually a pretty effective representative. Yeah, you know, he, my, my Democratic friends always... He's been, given, he's been given awards from, you know, like... What was one of the awards he got? One of those big groups, the most effective legislative recently. Well, let me tell you. George Miller. Do you know who George Miller was? George, was that National Review? No. Now, George Miller was a California guy. And he, he really interesting is he was um, basically Phil Burton, who was a very liberal San Francisco rep, his heir apparent. Although George represented uh, Martinez and some of the refineries across the bay, mm-hmm. um, a little bit to the north of uh, Berkeley and that stuff. George Miller and Don Young got along, even when they were fighting seemingly tooth and nail on the Alaska National Interest Land Conservation Act. And they would work out as many problems as they can. And then George would just sort of ignore Don when he'd be yowling and, you know, doing these sort of stunts, you know, putting the leg hole trap on his hand. What, what, what's my point? 
Don Young has gotten the job done, even when he drives you a little batty. He used to get along with uh, Charlie Wilson. They were neighbors for a long time. You know? Yeah. Kelly Chewbacca, if she's elected Senate, you know, she's going to be mobbed up with, you know, what's his name? That fat little uh, turd from Texas. Um, you know, and it's all it's all show and no go. Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz. He's not fat. He's a he's little, a fat little turd. He's like a little. Well, he's fat. He's probably a little. Well, he's way the hell over oh. his body mass index. That's for sure. <laughs> so you got even got me swearing. It's time to sign off. Okay. Jeff Landfield, right. right. you I'm are Joe Geldof. It's always fun doing the podcast with you. Yeah, it's more fun doing this than it is dealing with the legislature. That's, that's for sure. True. That's that's a fair right. statement. Okay, Thank, Joe. Thanks. Thanks for a million, uh, folks. If you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one. Landline.